Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Red Shirts and Runabout, which is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, we're back again for another week. Every week we're talking something Star Trek, whether it's Star Trek Discovery, one of the movies, some of the fan theories going on. So, with me as always, our very two fine co-captains. Guys, go ahead and introduce yourselves, starting with Derek. Hey everybody, I am Derek, uh, host this show and a couple others on the Heroes Podcast Network. It's good to be back. And I am co-captain Jeremy, and I also host other podcasts. Co-captain? I didn't know we had ranks. He just said my other captains. I did? It's the the, the Star Trek, (laughs) you know, Rathacon approach. An admiral, two captains, whatever. Oh, captain, Uh, my captains. Oh, captain, my captain. (laughs) And I, I, of course, naturally, I forgot to introduce myself again. I am... uh, Greg Bosco, I'm with these two captains every week, and I always forget to introduce myself lately. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm thinking you're Star the, Trek. That's the problem. You're the faceless narrator. The faceless narrator. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, obviously, this was a huge week for Discovery. Yeah. Continuing their storyline that they started, you know, in episode 10, I mean, that they were kind of hinting at before the midseason break, The Wolf Inside. Which yeah. this is the eleventh episode. Um, before we dive into the story and our thoughts and such, what'd you guys think about it? Uh, I loved it. I, I mean, we could we could spend the rest of this season in the mirror universe, and I will be very happy. Yeah, it was a definitely fun and cool episode. Uh, part of me thinks that. Um, last week's episode may have been a little bit just stronger overall, but this episode answered a ton of questions and pushed the plot along at a pretty solid pace. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of, uh, hanging mysteries at this point. It's just kind of all on the table now. More or less. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that. I think there's one, a couple of things that, that I'd like to discuss that are still a little up in the air, but a lot of stuff was answered. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like the episode overall. There are certain elements, I mean, you guys won't be surprised to hear that I just really, I really didn't like. Um, some of it felt like they're trying to just, now they're trying to wrap up certain plot points and I don't know. But the story, we'll I mean, you could find, I could say that about any episode of anything. Um, but it's a good episode and I can definitely tell the quality of the filming and the graphics and the uniforms they're, they definitely weren't skimping on this series at all. Well, especially when you look at the aliens. Um, you know, we, we got a promo picture of this right before the episode came out, but we were finally introduced to the Discovery-era Andorians and Tellarites, and man, did they look good. Yeah, and they sounded good, too. Their their voice is very, like, monstrous or almost, like, robotic. They were definitely more alien. Yeah, 
Yeah, they felt like aliens, but I really, I'll, I'll happily admit this, this version of the Andorians is actually my favorite I've seen on screen so far. And I know we haven't seen a lot of them, but yeah, it's severe, but that's like the Andorian thing. They were always a little bit more kind of militaristic almost. Yeah. I mean, in all through Enterprise, they always just seemed like normal people that had dealy bobs on their head and were blue. This, they were like, oh, that's an alien. That's. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Enterprise tried to flush him out a bit with Shran, um, but they still just seemed very much like us with, you know, just better technology than we had at the yeah. time. Um, versus here, where there, there's a lot more distinction, I think. Um, but, you know, it's, it's early on. We had a lot of Shran and Andorians and Enterprise, and so far we've got one character in one episode. So hopefully we see more. Yep. But it was nice to see them get introduced into the plot and actually be on screen. And, yeah, I mean, they were kind of a little nameless. I don't even think they say the Andorian character or the, or the Tellarite character name. But what yeah. I like is how they – and we're not quite into the spoilers yet because, like, like you guys said, there was a promo picture beforehand. But they, the two alien races, combined with the Vulcans and Klingons, of course, are obviously an important part of the rebel forces. The Rebel Alliance. Yeah, I, I almost said the Rebel Alliance. I was like, it's Star Trek. <laughs> this is Star Trek, right? Not Star the, Wars. <laughs> I think they called it the Resistance, actually. Hashtag. So, you know, which which is now also, Star Wars now has both. They own Rebellion and and Resistance, so. Well, they had the Rebellion and the Republic and the Resistance. It's like, come up, all right, guys. <laughs> this is not working. Mm-hmm. All um, right, well, the wolf well, inside. It? So real quick though, what's interesting about what you're what you're talking about with these aliens is that if you look at the whole, you've got Andorians, Tellarites, Vulcans, and Klingons. Basically, the mirror universe swapped out the humans and the Klingons. Right. You know, the Klingons are are the warrior race, and we're the founders in our universe of the Federation, and it's the flipped side of that coin in the mirror universe, which I really liked. And they did it in a kind of a tasteful way. You know, it would have been easy to kind of cheese it up about how the Klingons are forming this little resistance rebellion with the other alien races just to dominate them. But they didn't. They were literally like, no, I mean, the the way the humans are acting in this universe is forcing us to band together. And I, I kind of I know it's a story we've seen a million times from Star Wars to Star Trek to whatever. But it was still it's still neat to see some of the the founding members of the Federation. Like you said, Derek, we see them on TV again reversed and that's cool yeah exactly it's, it's one of those things of you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend and you know unlikely kind of team ups and, and things of that nature because when you're pushed into the corner you're gonna team up with the other guys that are pushed into that same corner you know right i mean it also kind of backs up that concept of um like the lines of fate are are pretty steady through this this mirror universe, like not that much is different. The biggest difference is just that flip between between humans and Klingons. So it's like things pretty much progressed the same way they did. It's just the variables are switched out. Well, you guys just want to kind of jump right into the episode. Might as well. Yeah, let's do it. Black alert, spoilers and all. <laughs> Black alert. Uh, so I actually watched this episode at lunch today, I happily admit. Um, it's always a good break away from the workday to watch some Star Trek. Uh, 
it was even right off the bat. You know, there are things I definitely don't like about Discovery. There's things I don't like about some of the characters. But this show seems to, this current episode seemed to pull at the emotions a little bit more right from the beginning than maybe most of the previous episodes or even some of the past Star Trek have. What what are you referring to specifically? Because I'm trying to remember exactly how things kicked off. The intro had, uh, it was Stamets holding um, Culber. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Early yeah. on, and he's still not back to being who he is, but there's that part of him that's like, oh, he's on the other side, or he's still on the other side, and he's like locked into repeating whatever, whatever that phrase was. And I'm like, I'm trying to imagine myself as a married man, just out of my mind, but still cradling like my dead wife. I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, what was he saying? I see you in the forest, the, the flickering yeah. lights. That's I see it. him. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like I'm I'm almost uh, cheering for him to stay crazy so that he doesn't you know have to deal with this. Well, it's interesting because you know it starts off where Saru is under the assumption, and, and even Tilly is that it was Stamets' fault. Like he's the one who is responsible for Colbert's death. Nobody's really you know checked if it's anybody else. No one assumes that it's uh, Ash Tyler or anybody else. Um, which is really interesting when you think about it because, you know, it, it's a future starship. You would think that there'd be some type of surveillance or cameras around somewhere for that type of thing. Um, yeah, especially in the med bay. Right? But, I mean, I, I guess not. Um, I mean, my job know, but... has security cameras in the break room. <laughs> <laughs> well, we that's the thing, right? Like, it's it's one of those things where, like, it's it, and maybe I'm just being picky here, but some of the stuff that revolves around the Ash Tyler Voke storyline um, is a little questionable for me when it just comes to the vetting process of Starfleet doing their job. <laughs> you know, um, and we can get into that, we cannot get into that, but uh, I thought this was just an extension of that where a person is murdered on the ship and there's no visual record of what happened. Yeah. I mean, not to speak ill of the dead, but maybe Culber's just really incompetent. Maybe he he screwed up the scans the first time when Ash came on. He you know turned all the cameras off in his med bay. Maybe this is this is Culver's fault. Well, I try to imagine <sighs> what Picard would have done if like somebody murdered. Do- I know the the equiv- captain equivalent's not on the ship, but if somebody kills Wes or Wesley Beverly Crusher, and Riker's like, "Yeah, this is kind of sad, but you know what? It's okay. We'll move on." And I'm not trying to say that's what Saru said, but. They kind of do gloss over the death a little bit. Yeah, Saru's pretty cold. I mean, he always kind of has been. Yeah. That's true. Well, I think he's he very much you know lives in the moment, you know, and realizes that the there are priorities. The ship is in danger. They need to get home. They need to stay alive long enough for Burnham to complete her mission. And while a death on the ship is obviously sad, it seems like there's this obvious... Um, killer and the reasoning is pretty sound so let's just go with that and move on to other things well it's like strap him down because might as well like no reason right. not to he's not going anywhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then they immediately jump into saru saying all right tilly that's yeah, fine go go try to help him it's like so he's trying to balance out that okay maybe stamets did this but then you're right tilly we should try to help him immediately i don't know that's just me yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That, that is what happened, though. Um, and I mean, she, look, she makes an interesting case 
right? That it's obviously, it's, it's something that has to do with the mycelium network. It's the spores. It's the drive. This is not a biological issue. It's an engineering issue. And that was a very interesting take on it. And Saru does go with it. Um, and I almost feel like that was just an excuse to not show us more of the medical team. But, um, but it, it may, <laughs> that's it, probably fair. Right. I mean, but it lets us go back to engineering and do all that stuff. And of course, there's some payoff at the end of the episode. So, you know, I, I guess it was the right way to go. Well, and also, if we if we see Saru as this kind of cold pragmatist as captain of the Discovery, it's it's not only like, well, we're trying to get the ship back online. So even if he killed Culber, let's try and, you know, reboot him so that we can get to where he can face charges or, like, you know, if this man's a murderer, what are you going to do to him? Like, so it's kind of like, it's good either way. Either we fix him and he's innocent, or we kill him and he's guilty. But, like, either way, it's like, let's just do stuff. Because we're kind of in a situation where we have to keep trying stuff. I mean, it's similar to um, when they were doing all the jumps in the first place. And it was like, well, we just we just have to push this because this is just what what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they are trapped in another reality. They do have to get home, and their options are limited, and maybe Burnham won't be successful, and they'll have to use the spore drive to get home. I will say I am enjoying the fact that they're having legitimate challenges to the mission, and it's not stuff that, and the three of us have joked about this before, sometimes Star Trek, and a lot of TV shows, they find the the magical Deus Machina solution. And they haven't done this. I mean, this has been two and a half episodes or two episodes, excuse me, of actual struggle for the for the crew of the Discovery. Yeah, I mean, so far in the Mirror Universe, things are not going according to plan. And I like that because, you know, all three of us have talked in the past how some of the failings of past Star Trek was, you know, some of the characters on, you know, Next Generation, they're all perfect at everything they do. And in this show, the problems it has, you know, the characters are feel like real people. The challenges they're facing are legitimately, they feel real. Yeah. Including needing to get bathed by Saru, by dark universe Saru. (laughs) Well, it shows the, it's an odd complication. Yeah. The domination of the Terran empire, right? Yeah. I did think that was an interesting take though, that, you know, Saru's people, the Kelpians are, are there and they have just basically become slaves. And of course, you know, it, it has to be Saru and not somebody else. Um, I, I thought it was kind of a cool way for Michael to have to handle the situation because it's, it's supposed to be mind games, right? The whole idea of being in the mirror universe is supposed to be mentally and emotionally taxing. Right. What, what better way to do that than to put Saru, who is her superior officer now, someone that she hurt, someone that she... Um, betrayed earlier in the series is now a slave to her on the Shenzhou. Also, the only alien on board just happens to be Saru. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that that's a fair point, right? There's always this argument of, yeah, it's this mirror universe, but why are all of the exact same people around relatively close? Um, it raises fate. Right, yeah, it's the threads of fate. And that... I mean, that goes only so far with people. Some people believe in fate, some people don't. Uh, there's always causality that can be discussed and, and things of that nature. But, you know, pretty much everyone's there. I mean, Tilly is there, Burnham is there, Giorgio is there, Saru is there, Lorca is there. Um, 
Stamets is there. <laughs> Detmer. Let's not forget Detmer. She was a pretty big part of this episode. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, she finally had some payoff. That was really cool. She had her first major lines or major scenes. I know she said some stuff in past episodes occasionally, but I would argue that this episode's her first actual interaction with another character that's actually part of the plot. Not just, you know, Helm's person said course warp four. Yes, sir. She's not just doing that. She's actually engaged in somewhat of a legitimate discussion. Well, that, that was kind of, that was kind of my point. It's just that like she finally has an opportunity to do something here to actually contribute to the crew. She's the first officer under uh, Michael, which I think is really cool. And yeah. we get, we get to kind of see that. So there's this payoff of these characters that we kept seeing, right? We're like, well, why do we keep seeing this person? They're not doing anything. They don't, they barely have any lines. And now we get some payoff because they've had larger roles in the mirror universe. Well, and especially she gets to see Detmer minus her, like, implants and all this stuff that she is is cursed with because of uh michael's actions so it's kind of like seeing her whole is is probably hard for michael yeah i think that's a fair point i do i think that's a very good point that and even mir on when she's on the shenzhou and uh even though she's from our timeline she watches the crew get executed on the shenzhou which you know internally for her is giving her problems she has to let him do it. Yeah. What a way to die. Uh, it's yeah. Frozen. Frozen alive in space. I guess you suffocate, really. I feel like as much as we've heard, especially in DS9, the threat to throw people out an airlock, you'd think they would just throw them out an airlock. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a lot of work, though. Right, it's a smaller space. You gotta, you know, seal the doors, and you know they float out somewhere they could grab on, and you know that type of thing. This, you just beam them off the ship. That's Super true. simple. Nice I actually, and clean. I actually thought it was gonna be a lot worse than what we saw. Uh, I thought it was gonna be like a like a Star Trek the motion picture thing where the transporter basically rips them apart slowly. That's exactly oh, what I was thinking. I thought the same thing. Yeah, that would have been gross. I don't know what that says about me or. The two of us, buddy, but, um, I lived, cause we already saw the agonizer, so it's not like that would be out of place for the Terran Empire to do that. Mm-hmm. True. And the, that's the agonizer is designed to keep them whole, so maybe, maybe wholeness of body is, is something important to Terrans. Well, that's interesting. That's, a, that's so an interesting point. Uh, but before we get too far away from uh, bath time Saru, I just wanted to point out how weird it was to see that scene, having just seen um, The Shape of Water two days ago. Because there's a, a significant part of that movie where Doug Jones, who plays both parts, is in a bathtub. So it's like he's 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 got a he's got a, a role right now that's very bathtub centric across all <laughs> all media. Very bathtub centric. Oh man. That's something I didn't think was going to be said on our episode here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen The Shape of Water yet. It's on my list. I really am dying to see oh, it. It's really good. So. Uh, when it first came out in theaters, it wasn't really available anywhere here. And so I didn't get a chance to see it in December. And then it finally kind of opened wide at a really kind of busy time for me. So mm. Disappointing. Well, you interviewed the man. Make the time. Come on. I did. The man is wonderful. I, I love that guy. If, if you uh, if you missed that, we, we have the interview at heroespodcast.com, and it was tagged on the end of one of our earlier uh, episodes, and 
the second half of November. So he's a hell of an actor. Um, yes, the yes. way he the way he looks, the way he carries himself. I mean, uh, the characters he plays with the with the costumes and uh, and that's that's Body pretty paint. neat. Well, I was trying to think of the uh, there's the the female actress from Constantine that played Gabriel. And I can't think of her name, and it's driving me crazy. Um, but the reason I was thinking about her is I was thinking about a movie with her and Doug Jones, and. Mm. I don't know why. They just both play good creature character types, and I would love to see them both together. Anyways, I'm off topic. So, <laughs> getting us back into Star Trek Discovery, Tilda Swinton, that's her. She was the White Witch in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, yeah. Tilda Swinton is, is an amazing, like, just weird weird to look at person, but fascinating. So, Star Trek Discovery fan, or show writers, bring on Tilda Swinton for an episode and make her they another Kelpian. Tilda Swinton. Make her a female Kelpian. There we go. So, should we just... casting. So, they got all the stuff that's going on. They're working on the plans. Do we want to just kind of jump right into probably the two... I mean, yeah, the two main points of the story. The the beaming down, you know, the... They get the orders from Starfleet. They found the rebel base. They don't say how, but we'll talk about that because I think... I have I have my own theory on this, gentlemen, and I want you guys to shoot me down if I'm wrong. Okay. You think it was a trap? Yes. And or I like think, a test. I think the Emperor either set it up as a test or a trap. I um, can see that. Especially with who the Emperor Empress, by the way. I mean I, I well, hate let's to just, do that. Hate let's to just do that get guy. it over with. We don't need to hold on to that. <laughs> Empress Well, okay. So I, I'm actually totally fine with her being called an Emperor though, because first off, captains are all sir. Right, um, yeah. what, whether they're women or men, um, and you know, as the emperor, you can be called whatever the hell you want to be called. <laughs> so if she's the emperor, she's the emperor, man. I'm good with it. I guess I'm just thinking the Earth to regular Earth history. There have been some pretty awesome empresses out there. Whether it was the Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Roman, the the Mongol Khans had some great empresses, or Hoshi, or Empress Hoshi. First of her name. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but that was cool. I mean, we had kind of called that that was going to be the case, or at least we had hoped that was going to be the case. But, I mean, I'm glad we were right. Yeah, and we've we've called most of this stuff, so the, the kind of twists uh, aren't necessarily valuable in this show for their, like, lack of predictability. It's like, we can we can get a few steps ahead and it's still fun. Mm-hmm. Maybe Although, it's just because it's fun to be right. How awesome would it have been if it actually turned out that uh, Giorgio wasn't the Empress, but she was the leader of the Rebels? That could have been cool, too. That would have been a weird twist. Yeah. I mean, really, I I just like that they brought Michelle Yao back and was able to, to, to utilize her again. Because, you know, I'm still... Still kind of hurt that they killed her off so quickly. So um, just to see her come back and now it's a nemesis kind of thing will be really neat. And on top of that, it, it fulfills one of Stamets' you know, kind of prophecy things where he's talking about the palace. You know, don't go to the palace. Uh, well, yeah. I have a feeling that's where they're going next week. Also, she's got a sword. I mean, it doesn't get yeah. any better than that. Yeah, how cool is that? I was watching that uh, after Trek, the, the talk 
thing afterwards, and they were saying uh, she was consulted on the design of the sword, and she was very picky and, like, helped them get the right weight and right uh, length of handle and all this stuff. I was like, that's the best. And she She should. She has a sword fight. Yeah, I mean, she she should. She's done done so many action-based films with sword or sword-like weapons. Oh, yeah. I'm glad she's got, she could have seen back on stuff like that. Especially if, uh, I think Derek, you just said it, if there's going to be a fight later on, have her build a sword that suits her. Yeah, that was Jeremy. But yeah, uh, I mean, she she is just a, a wonderful actor and it's just, it's super cool to see her back. So I, I hope that her character survives. Um, so that way there's an opportunity to see her again. I mean, yeah, as long as we're in the Mirror Universe, she's going to be around. I, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays through. Because, I mean, if Michael's forced to kill her again, that would be that would be so brutal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, also, I just got the the title of this show or this episode. <laughs> Looking at my notes, I was like, oh, because the Firewolf is Vogue. Oh, I figured it was the Wolf inside, just because you know that there's that idea of the wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, but uh, Voke's code name in the Mirror Universe is Firewolf, and Voke is who's inside Ash Tyler. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I get that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine. That's fine. And the episode titles are fine. None of them are really doing much for me, but episode titles rarely do, so. Yeah. It's just a good way to reference it. You know, we know if we're talking about the wolf, the wolf inside, we know what episode we're talking about. I mean, of the titles we've had so far, this one's probably my favorite for just kind of mild cleverness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had some other gems. I don't, I don't know. I mean, magic to make the sanest man go mad. No, not, not that one. Or little, the butcher's knife. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. I mean, it nope. just rolls rolls right off the tongue. Hey, those do sound like original season, original series season three title episodes. <laughs> they do. No, they really do. Like, I'm, I'm poking fun a little bit, but I don't have a problem with it at all. So, <laughs> Well, and that's the that's the joy of Star Trek fans. I think we can actually laugh at our own show and our own movies while still finding enjoyment. Yeah. And, you know, to give a, to give a counterpoint to that, I, as much as I love Star Wars, I, you know, if I say I don't like a certain thing about Star Wars, it depends on what room I'm in, but if I get physically threatened or hurt. But, well, and also, speaking of things that we can laugh at about the corniness of, of Star Trek, Sarek's goatee. <laughs> Love it. Love everything about it. What a good little throwback to Mirror to Mirror, right? Mirror Mirror, yeah. Oh, I guess all Mirror Universe Vulcans have that same goatee. So, someone made an interesting point, because I'm in a lot of Star Trek groups on Facebook, and I follow a lot of accounts on Twitter and stuff like that. So, somebody, I'm forgetting who, made a very interesting point that I wanted to bring up when we got to this. So, Spock is somewhere on the Enterprise right now. On the ISS Enterprise? Theoretically. And and at least in ten years, we'll be under Kirk on the Enterprise. Right. But his father is essentially one of the top leaders in the Resistance. Yeah, that's that's complicated. A little bit, right? Well, I guess hmm. we know what happens. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just found that that was a very interesting point that, you know, we see Sarek on the exact opposite side that we see Spock on. Of course, Spock kind of shifts a bit towards the end of the episode because he is a logical man. Maybe Spock infiltrates the uh, the Terran Empire out of revenge for what just happened. Maybe. There you go. 
So let's talk I don't know how they would actually play with that plot, but that would make sense. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah let's talk about that. So they, they're they on the, the, the Shenzhou. They get orders because they find the rebel base. Go destroy the rebel base, right? You know, that's the, the common sci-fi trope. The rebels are there. We will destroy them. Yeah, take uh, out Firewolf on the planet Karlak. That's right. So they get there, and Burnham kind of hatches that plan to beam down alone. She's talking to Lorca, and Lorca's like, look, you can't take a whole away team. And uh, Lorca is shook. That was such good acting. It was, like he, especially when he's like, "You got to do it. Just destroy them." Like he was shattered to his core. It was like tragic to see. Yeah, I mean, it's again another example of, regardless of your feelings about the show, what damn good actors these people are. Yeah, just across the board, and I mean, Jason Isaacs. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because he's been doing. Uh, big movies for a long time, but if if you are new to his work, I mean, come on. How good was that? So very good. Also kind of makes you want to curse Flocks for, for having invented those damn machines to begin with. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair point. That's a fair damn point. You, damn you mirror Flocks. <laughs> I, I do like that tie-in, though. That is, that is kind of nice. But yeah, I mean, we, we get to see... Alorca, who is in a very different place. He's no longer in a position of power. He's beaten down. And he even has to admit that he is emotionally compromised. Well, he's been tortured in the Agonizer for who knows how long now. Yeah. I mean, someone tells me they didn't just put him in there for ten minutes. Like, alright, you've learned your lesson, boy. But yeah, Michael's basically like, listen, I'm I'm consulting you to show you the respect you're due, but like... I'm not necessarily listening to you right now because you've just had your mind scrambled. Basically, yeah. Which, and if you think about it, Burnham has to deal with talking to Lorca, realizing that Lorca's kind of lost his place. Um, His mind isn't, you know, because of the torture, because of the stress he's under, and Lorca kind of admits that. And she beams down with Tyler and is again immediately thrust into, for this poor woman in the span of 15 minutes, probably one of the weirdest I don't even know how to describe it. Well, there's certain inappropriate language I can use, but it's it's like a mind flare from D and D is just screwing with her head. Well, I, I like how she talks about how the she doesn't have pips anymore. Like she, I, I think she, there's a part of her that almost sees this whole thing as like karmic retribution. Like she has to, she's literally going through what would be her own hell. Like seeing seeing the ghosts of her past and either defeating them or or using them in some way in order to fix kind of what, you know, right what she wronged in, in some way. But it's just, it's this amazing, like, not Sisyphean, but like Dante style, like trek through darkness. It's, it's fascinating to just see kind of like, it's all on her. Like so much of it is just on her shoulders when, when she had, like, you know, what, months ago just resigned herself to be a prisoner and just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with life. I'm a prisoner. This has nothing to do with me anymore. And now she's like leading this attack party for the Terran Empire in mirror hell. It's just such a character arc that's, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah I think that's a really great way to look at it. Cause she, they've only been in the mirror universe for what, maybe a week. I mean, we don't really have a good, gauge, like a good gauge of time right now. And in that week, she's seen, you know, her captain that she's learning to at least respect, if not like, you know, Lorca get tortured. Uh, she 
killed the mirror universe copycat of a friend she had on her old ship. Uh, she saw she had to let three of her crew. We don't maybe she knew them in the real universe get beamed into space for as an execution. Um, yeah, maybe. Those, and she's yeah. witnessing Lorca get broken down. Which, if you think about it, she this is something that she probably never expected from him to get this kind of, I don't know, maybe morally and ethically weak from the torture, where he's like, look, just do what they're selling, just destroy the rebel base and move on, we got a mission to do. And her response firing back, she's like, that's that is the exact opposite of what Starfleet stands for. And even though we're in the mirror universe, we're still Starfleet, and Saru says something similar later on. And, and even through all of this stuff that she's having to deal with emotionally, seeing people she's kind of caused the death of and and having to make these life and death decisions over or people in a universe that she's not from, but still, you know, has the, the responsibility to care for, uh, she's still able to complete her mission at the, and at the same time, like launching someone she's slept with into, into the blackness of space. Yeah. yeah. So it's like thank thank God she's had uh, Vulcan training because anyone with a normal human psyche would be shattered from all this. Uh, she does yeah. seem to handle everything with Ash Tyler pretty well. I mean, not completely stoic, but better than I think most other characters would be able to handle it. So let's talk about this Ash Tyler stuff um, because she brings him on the planet and they get attacked by. Uh, an Andorian, a Tellarite, and I can't remember if there was a third character there or not. I know there's somebody manning manning uh, Worf's purple space bazooka from <laughs> <laughs> from Star Trek Insurrection was down there. Um, <laughs> but so they get captured and they're able to talk. Like, look, we're not we're not what you expect. We just want to talk. We have information, et cetera, et cetera. They get through all that. But the leader of the resistance is a Klingon. And not so just, just anything. Klingon. Klingon. Yeah, he's Vogue. Folk. That's Vogue right. House of None. Vogue House of None, who uh I actually went back and watched his little spiel that they're doing about with Sarek and talking about this alien, that alien, this alien, that alien is like the complete inverse of what Takovma said early on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. It's very very interesting. Yes, yes it is. Um, and I actually I mean, like, really should. Sorry, no. I actually like the back and forth between Burnham and Voke. This Voke is so reasonable. Like this is the first time we've seen Klingons almost portrayed as as the Klingons of the the normal universe, like that we've seen in the past, where they they you know speak English and are reasonably chill and can can be reasoned with and aren't just like eating raw meat off a table and like covering themselves in slime. And it's just like these, these seem like civilized Klingons. Now what's really cool about that scene is so Shazad Latif who plays Ash Tyler also plays Vogue. Um, so yeah, I mean, I know they're the same care, the same like person, but they're also the same actor. So that fight scene between the two of them, he actually got to be both characters. Which is pretty cool. That is really cool. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, I knew he played both, but I thought it was just another stunt double in the makeup or something. No, they they had him film both parts of it, and when he's Ash Tyler, there's a stand-in, 
and the stand-in had to learn all of the movements and everything like that. But the final product is both him. That seems unnecessary. It's like they they probably just did that so that they could say that they did that, but it's it's all makeup and prosthetics. They didn't need to do that. Well, I think some of the reason has to do with the people who are trying to argue about whether or not he can be Voke. And we've talked about it a bit ourselves, but if you could go back and say, look, they even had another character play, another actor play the character. You know, it's just, that's one more piece of ammunition against the story arc. And so in this case, you can say, look, the same person plays both characters. It's the same person. Right, but didn't they say that Ash Tyler was a real person? that they modeled Voke to look like a guy that, that they had captured, Ash Tyler? So I don't think that's been confirmed yet. I assume mm. we'll find out. And I assume there has to... There, there's only two options. Either Ash Tyler was a person that they learned everything about, or they had to make up a person and they had to have a spy on the inside to create the Federation Starfleet records. Yeah, that seems less believable in this thing in this pile of unbelievable things to to think that not only did ash tyler get made from whole cloth from klingon meat but that they also were so convinced with his uh like personnel file that they put him aboard the most top secret ship in the fleet and gave him security clearance unless it's just Lorca vouching for him and he's just like i like this guy you gave me that prisoner now give me this prisoner of war I, I assume there has to be some record for this existing character, you know, I, and so he must have been a prisoner they already had. And they just switched out the JPEG for his personnel file, that's all they needed to do? Um, or or <laughs> they really made him look like the guy, you know, who it was. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm going to, since we're talking about this topic, for, for those of you listening along, when, when Voke and Burnham are talking, and they're kind of going back and forth, uh, Vogue kind of inter- uses some Klingon terminology even when he's speaking, for lack of a better term, common. Uh, and the Klingon phrases kind of set off Tyler. And Tyler, atta- basically Tyler attacks him. He screams like, you should remain, you, sh- you shall remain Klingon, is I believe what he screams at him. Um, and they start fighting and all this imagery. And the imagery leads the viewer to believe that Tyler has been basically re built from Klingon parts into a human, which I'm still not buying. Um, I'm still, I'm still thinking there's gotta be some mental gadgetry going on. And I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. If they rebuilt them this well, Tyler and Burnham have had sex. You think she would have a question or two? Cause unless you, you think, t- unless you tell you me, you think Ash Tyler has two penises. Well, is that what you're saying? Are, are, <laughs> is the show leading me to believe that the Klingons are such amazing astrobiologists that they literally rebuilt a human with a hundred percent human functions of every system? Well, and remember, these aren't just the Klingons; these are the hidden sect of matriarchs that have special abilities and special sciences that aren't necessarily part of the the Klingon kind of mainstream. So so maybe they do, and we just don't know about them. Dr. Crusher's Romulan disguise in Picard didn't even make it 13 seconds when he's on Romulus. Well, she's not a elder Klingon matriarch. That's true. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's easier for Klingons to look like humans than the other way around. 
don't know, maybe. And I know I'm being a little nitpicky, but it's just... It just seems like it's such an easy... Oh, yeah, we rebuilt them. It, it wasn't hard at all, and... Why can't, why, we can make him faster, stronger. Yeah, why don't they, uh, why don't they yeah. just make a million infantri- infiltrators now? Well, because, no, look, I have a problem traumatic. with it. I have a lot of problems with it, right? I mean, just, like, let's put the science aside for a minute. Let's pretend that they're able to biologically pull this off. But then you've got Captain Lorca, who finds a prisoner who has survived longer than any prisoner has ever survived captivity by Klingons. Brings him on to a top-secret the most top-secret ship in the Federation during wartime against the species that has had them captured, gives the guy head of security, the one of the most secure positions on the top-secret ship. And they don't do the full, hum- the, the full biological scans on this person that Dr. Colbert was able to do and figure out on, on his own. He's not even the chief of security, uh, the chief medical officer. There's just, like, all of these things had to, basically, all these people had to be, do their jobs poorly for this to work out. Well, just imagine yeah. if the Klingons would have tried to keep Lorca and do the same thing to Lorca. And then they make a Klingon and look exactly like Lorca, send him back to the Federation at the head of their ship. I guess maybe it would take too long. Yeah, I mean, that's that might be the factor is time, because they had Tyler for so long. I mean, basically, you know, it's, it's six or seven months um, between the end of the Battle of the Binary Stars and when Lorca meets Ash Tyler. So I think it was seven months, yeah. So, you know, it could have taken four or five of those months just to do this procedure correctly. Yeah. I, I just, I, I definitely don't think there's going to be the, the double bluff, whatever twist that it's not actually Voke, because with all of those flashback PTSD scenes we saw where it's, it's him with the plastic over his face and the, and the spinning saw blades for them to give the reveal that he looks at himself in the mirror in one of these flashbacks and it's Voke looking back. I think that's pretty much the, the full, that's coming full circle that's saying like all of these flashbacks we saw, he was Voke the whole time. Right. Yes, I agree. That would be a huge betrayal for them to go like, oh, remember how we, we psyched you out and then gave the big payoff? Well, double psych, like, the payoff didn't count. It would be like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm still torn on the whole implementation way they did it. I'm torn on the design of the Batleths. They look like hot garbage. They look like somebody crunched up a bunch of, like, beer cans, and it looks like it's just so craggy, and I don't know. It's like, why would it look like that? That's such an ineffective weapon. They do kind of look like Dynasty Warriors weapons. I kind of saw, I saw a lot of the stills from the the display they had at Star Trek Las Vegas, and the stuff looked pretty beautiful and detailed. I think it just, it looks different. I don't know, it reads, it, I mean, it looks like it's made of, like, dragon glass or something, like, everything is, is pocked and etched and, and, but it, it doesn't look, it doesn't have the elegance of, of the Batleth that we've seen in previous Star Treks. But maybe, I don't know, I don't know, I'll, I'll try and find those stills, but I, I wouldn't want one. Well, anyway, so, they get back, and they... I'm trying to even remember the exact moment where they... Because Burnham doesn't really stop Tyler. She stops Voke, Mirror Voke, from killing Tyler. 
Yeah, Tyler just freaks out and everybody just kind of watches. It's like you'd think somebody would restrain Michael a little bit more and not just like watch this well, challenge. We are lucky the Andorian with the phaser rifle didn't uh, just shoot him. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Especially when like he... 30 seconds in the past are talking about the, I don't know, the brave, willful Andorians or something. Also, Firewolf uh, Volk saying that Klingon is a forgotten tongue is kind of a big deal. Saying that they've gone so far away from their Klingon heritage that they don't even speak Klingon anymore. It is interesting, because I feel like that's a little bit difficult. I mean, the the Terran Empire really only became super powerful after the events of uh, Through the Mirror Darkly. So that was only 100 years ago. Right. So you're telling me in a century the Terran Empire was able to wipe out essentially the entire cultural existence of the Klingon Empire? I mean, maybe if they went to Kronos straight away and, and decimated it, maybe there just aren't that many Klingons left. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Do it kind of like the the Kelvin timeline films did to the Vulcans and Romulans. Yeah, because if there's only like 10,000 of them, then it wouldn't even make sense because there would be so few like dedicated communities of Klingons. They would have to pretty much speak whatever everybody else speaks because they're not in their own communities. Yeah, yeah that's fair. But he still he still says the light of Kalos um, brought them together, which would imply that there's still a connection to the the torchbearer ship of uh, Takumva. Uh, and I I just read the first issue of the comic, which was not very good, but it goes into uh, the fact that uh, Voke and Lorel um, had been working with a community of Klingons on. I think it was Kronos, but um, just like in the woods on that ship for for decades, like since they were small children. So it's like I wonder if that still exists in this world because Voke does seem to recognize Michael and say like you you destroyed our ship or whatever. Or no, is it is it Mirror Voke that says that Mirror Michael killed Mirror Takumva? Yeah. So it sounds like the the Battle of the Binary Stars still kind still of happened. happened. Yeah. 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 And that's interesting given kind of the the factors in play cuz that would have been a few months ago and the battle of the binary stars was all federation versus all klingon. So is it all terran versus all klingon or was it all terran versus the the federation of disenfranchised non-human aliens? Look, this is called the way it is. It's the Bizarro Federation. Right, okay. I mean, it sounded like it was just Terran Empire versus the Klingons. It's kind of what it sounded Which, like. Yeah. But I'm, I'm also with Jeremy. I'm wondering if... See, and that's the thing. I know they can only do so much in, you know, what, 49 minutes of an episode. But, like, if Volk would have said, you know, the... Because I know he mentioned the crushing defeat they had at the Battle of the Binary Stars. You know, they could have taken three seconds to go, you know, the Klingon Vulcan fleet was routed or something. Um, because if the Klingons were... Because you're both right. If Klingon language is kind of falling falling away... And their culture's kind of falling away. Are they that powerful enough to stand on their own and even fight a battle on their own? Well, or, I mean, I kind of read it as if the Light of Kalos brought them together in that camp, maybe the Battle of the Binary Stars was them uniting the the rebel alien races using the Light of Kalos against the, the Terran Empire. That's a good one. So instead of instead of uniting the, the Klingon houses, they united the Andorians and Vulcan and everything. 
Well, I know there's... That's interesting. I know there's people out there that are like, oh, what do you care? What's it matter? These are just details. I'm like, look, guys, we do a Star Trek podcast. We're the people that when they say 39 ships were destroyed at Wolf 359, we're like, what What? what 39 ships? What were their names? Yeah. One Name ship, One ship survived. What ship was that? Rankin serial number. That's right. It's This is Star Trek. For 50 years, people want to go find the lore of stuff. Um, look, I wanted to celebrate... Data's brother? <laughs> Yeah, Data's brother. I want one of his brothers because he has many. Um, uh, B four. I wanted to celebrate that this is episode number seven hundred and forty, and that's just amazing to me. If you think about it, how many TV shows can last this long? And I know that everybody can critique them, whatever you want. I don't mind critiquing TV shows; it's what I do sometimes. But Star Trek is back, and I love seeing it. And there's still cool stuff happening. Seven hundred and forty episodes. Who are you arguing with? I'm arguing with myself. We're all, the in, we're all happy here. The inner vote. Here, as a fun comparison, I mean, uh, something that, that Jeremy mentioned on Saturday Morning Tooncast a couple of weeks back. I mean, The Simpsons haven't even hit 700 episodes yet. Oh, Simpsons. So bad. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we're talking about a show that that has more content than The Simpsons. Which is very difficult in this day and age, but... <laughs> But they've also been going since the 60s. And I would argue that the uh, the Star Trek lore, not the not Data's brother, I would argue that there's more stuff going on in Star Trek lore in history than Star Wars. There, I said it. Boom. Well, now Night that they've drop. dropped all the legacy books, then yeah. But anyways, back on topic. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so let's let's face it. The, past, the last 15 minutes of this episode... There's basically enough content for its own 60 minutes of this 15 minutes. I mean, there's an hour long worth of stuff that they could have made just from this last quarter of the episode. Well, and the, the back and forth with the A story and the B story was so seamless with going back and forth between Captain Killy killing stamens and her, her weird experimentation work and uh, all of the stuff with with not only on the surface of Carlac, but, um, you know, we, we hear all these, these messages from Captain Harrington and Captain Maddox from the flagships of the Terran Federation and, and giving these orders. It's just like, everything is so dense, like stuff is constantly happening, but we still have these like five minute segments where Michael is getting delicately bathed by, by mirror nameless slave Saru. It's just the, the pacing of this is fantastic. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think it's done a really solid job of, of universe building, um, of you know doing fun callbacks that aren't too blatant and obvious, but are just kind of sound and let you know that the writers really understand the the fandom and they they, they are fans as well. Um, has been really great. Personally, I, I found the 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 very end with Stamets to be very interesting. Uh, I thought that that was just super fascinating where he meets his mirror universe self in the network. Um, I am very excited about this because I, I have some hunches about, you know, what's going to go on there. And I just think it's super cool to finally see. It's been a few episodes where we finally have Anthony rap back and now we're going to have two of them. Anthony rap battle. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about yes. it, when he meets his cell himself, He's basically in the mycelium network that kind of looked a little bit like a forest. Oh, yeah. That's definitely what he was talking about. And um, does it, it makes me wonder, what if he bumps into Mirror Culber? 
Maybe Colbert turns out to be a horrible, horrible, just arrogant, evil, bio, biogenetic weapons asshole now. I just, I just hope they bump into the tardigrade. It's like a <laughs> warrior tardigrade. Tar- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Derek said it before I could. <laughs> He's just got a little goatee. <laughs> That's how you know when you're talking to a Mirror Universe counterpart. Yeah. Goatee. They all have goatees. So here's a question. Going back to the original Mirror Mirror, um, I I read the the stuff from the episode and I watched the the Through the Mirror Darkly. What was it that made everybody kill each other on the Defiant? So okay, th- this is a very old thing. I'm drawing a blank on what it was called though, but it was from the original series. There was an episode right. uh, about it that actually TNG um, kind of copied. Um, oh man, come on, Greg, help me out here. I'm thinking about it. It was really early on in TNG they copied it, so that the two titles are very similar. Oh, the, there was the Naked Now and the Naked Time. Thank you. The, the Siokovsky virus or whatever they ended up calling it. Perfect, yes. They, so it's just a rage go. virus? Kind of. It's okay. a little bit more bizarre than that. It it almost makes them... I almost want to call it like a... Oh, what's the phrase? Like an inhibition virus. It makes people lose all their inhibitions. Oh, so it's like what made the Reapers and Firefly? Like the Pax... Kind of, but not violent. It makes them, like, uh, Greg, you've... Drunk? Yeah, you you yeah, act drunk, exactly. but when you're drunk, you also start acting out all the stuff that maybe the inner you wants to do. Right. You know, I want to... Like, it's all different. Like, Tasha wants to sleep with Data, or uh, Sulu starts fencing through the, the corridors of the Enterprise, right? And they all get, you know, kind of crazy and loopy, and they all get kind of hot and... Um, start passing out and things like that. But it wasn't necessarily tied to the Mirror Universe? It wasn't like a quality of the Mirror Universe? No, no. It was specifically something that happened in the Prime Universe, and the ship goes over. It's polywater intoxication is what it's called. There you go. Yeah. Hmm. See, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Sorry for that diversion. Because it was passed through, like, uh, perspiration and things like that, and liquids. It was how it got passed from person to person. We're not going to talk about how it affected data. Anyways. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. So how weird is it that the medical crew comes in to try and revive stamens, but then the next time we see them, he's just left alone in the reaction cube. Like, they, for, for as far as they're concerned, that's his dead body, and they just leave him strapped up, like, crucified in that chair. How How strange is that, <laughs> that they wouldn't, like... Well, let's dispose of this body, or let's like, you know, do something with it. That's a him. good point. Yeah, because it's it's so much time has passed that she's just like staring at him, and the medical crew is left, and Saru's gone. It's just like everyone has just abandoned his body, and it's not like they're under attack that they needed to go man their stations. It was just like, well, he's dead. Let's go. Let's go somewhere else. I mean, it's I guess gross. they had to go beam back Vok Tyler, um, and it took the medical team to help do that, right? I'm reaching. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe Tilly asked for a few minutes to say goodbye or something. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And then locked the room with her breath imprint, which they haven't used again. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Such an odd specific from early on. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of quickly wrapped up the last few sec- minutes there. But to recap, so they're, you know, they're talking to the Klingon Firewolf, who is Voke. Sets off Ash Tyler, 
and they stop Ash Tyler and Voke and Burnham kind of have that agreement together that we'll help you, you're helping us, you help us escape. And before she can even implement the plan to help them escape, we don't see it on screen, but Emperor Giorgio shows up. And you guys called it last week about the Defiant because it absolutely just blasts the hell. Apparently photon torpedoes in this universe are way better than we've ever seen before. Because it's blasting yeah, the crust more open. than photons. I'm not convinced that that was the Defiant, by the way. Oh, you don't think? Yeah, we didn't actually see that. I think it's got to be a different ship. I think she has some special ship that cloaks and things like that. Because, I mean, they couldn't see it on sensors. Burnham had no idea what it was. I think she, I think Giorgio has her own ship. It would be cool, though, if it is just, like, a, a very, very upgraded, like, 100 years of upgrades Defiant. I mean, that would be interesting. I mean, I suppose it could be, like, what if it's a Klingon ship, though? What if she stole, like, the sarcophagus ship that had the cloak on it? Oh, like she's flying the the light of Kalos? Yeah. That would be offensive to the Klingons. Which, wouldn't that be a Terran Empire thing to do? Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Well, nonetheless, she absolutely devastates the, what's left of the Rebel base. And Yeah, I mean, she devastates that planet. Yeah, the planet. Yeah. Like, that that must be another one of those Kittimer Accord things where the yield of a photon torpedo can't be that big, because that's like... <laughs> She Death Starred that planet, pretty much. Yeah, we need her the next time the Borg show up. Uh, yeah. No kidding. But they kind of wrap things up, and we get the uh, the Giorgio Burnham kind of lack of better term mini reunion. And that's why, you know, Jeremy kind of called me on it when I said at the beginning of this episode is, I'm not 100% certain they sent Burnham there on, like just to do it on herself. I think it was some sort of test or a trap. Yeah, I mean, Giorgio could have known that Burnham was dead and wanted to test this Burnham to see who it was. Yeah, I think Mira Giorgio probably knows that both Burnham and uh, Lorca are dead in this world. But then again, maybe maybe she's like passed down the, the secret that there is a prime universe, or I guess. Would that have... That didn't happen in Enterprise, but that would have happened in the original series, but not yet. So this would be the first. Wait, no. So she might know about the the. I mean, she might know about our universe because of the Defiant. Oh, okay. And I wonder if that's like a secret passed down from the Emperor or something. Maybe that's very possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 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 This is. I love. I love that they're living in the mirror universe for this half of the season. It's so fun to play in this. Play in this land. It's very different, that's for sure. And they're not just doing the funny, goofy Mirror Mirror episodes like DS9 did, which were still entertaining, but they were just kind of side stories to the main plot, whereas this Mirror Universe stuff is driving part of the plot. Yeah, it's, it's not cartoonish, like, portrayals of, of different versions. Like, they're they're doing that a little bit, like, with Captain Killy and all this stuff, but, like, Mirror Detmer isn't some, some like, finger-tenting, like, malicious monster she's just right. kind of doing her job mm-hmm. unless captain killy yeah. in the prime universe is absolutely wreaking havoc on the klingons right now right that would be interesting to see what's going on in the prime prime universe just to kind of know but maybe maybe we'll find out i don't know that's season two yeah right but uh but yeah so next week is vaulting ambition is the name of episode 12 
Hmm. Any any thoughts on what might happen there? Um, at some point, Michael is going to vault over Giorgio in a sword fight. Ooh, there you go. I mean, with the with the title of Vaulting Ambition, if the episode actually does play to some of the characters, either it's going to be, you know, Burnham trying to kill Emperor Giorgio for whatever reason. That's But Burnham doesn't really have a lot of ambition except to be better than what she is. I mean, yeah, Michael's ambition is to survive. Yeah. Unless they're talking about, unless it's a little throwaway to Tilly, because Tilly, you know, even in this episode talking to Saru, when they're trying to the mycelium experiment on Stamets, she's like, hey, if this works, will you, uh, you know, recommend me for command training? But in the um, in the trailer for the, the next episode, we do see that, that moment where Michael and Lorca are in the shuttlecraft, and Michael is holding on to the... Uh, mirror Giorgio's um, command badge that what's his name was using as a toothpick oh from the prime timeline you mean right from the yeah from the non-mirror universe um, so it's it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays into anything maybe she'll stab her with her own mirror command badge and kill her with it that'd be amazing I guess we'll just have to see you know we'll just have to find out next week yeah well, what are your snap final verdicts, Derek? Uh, really good episode. I think last week's was more entertaining overall, but this one did some amazing stuff. It answered a lot of questions. It provided a, a wonderful look at Andorians and Tellarites, and uh, just still keeps me interested. At the end with Stamets, I just I need to know what that conversation is. Jeremy, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I it. It's starting to build out this mirror universe kind of setting so much more with the the allied unified alien races to the point where like if they if they stayed in the mirror for the rest of the season and had it be you know Michael helping you know att- take down the Terran Empire to to where they are the uh, you know weaker because because after this point in time the Terrans lose out to the other alien races and the humans like when we see them in DS9 are kind of on the back burner right they become the rebels yeah so it'd be it would be interesting to see if this is like the turning point and part of the turn is because of the discovery maybe could be could be could be and you know aside from the stuff I was complaining whining about earlier the whole Vok Tyler is evoke is was the surgery real all that I liked it a lot I mean it's uh, I love the mirror universe I love what's going on I love seeing the characters interact there's things I don't like but eh, you know what I don't like what I have for breakfast every day either and I still move on <laughs> uh, you know it's if I wasn't a fan Here. I would care I could care less but I, obviously I love Star Trek. We need a new shorthand now that we have two prominent Vokes. So we need uh, Firewolf Voke will be FWV, and then uh, Ash Tyler Voke will be ATV. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to remember that. As long as they don't turn it into like a reimagined Battlestar and there's like 19 different Vokes out there. I'm like, here <laughs> yeah. we go. <laughs> I like it. I like They'll it. be like, people like the Mirror Universe. Let's, let's add more. Here we go. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week, gentlemen. Do you agree? I think yeah. so. I think so. Well, before we wrap it up and uh, we do our outro, gentlemen, if people want to find you online, how can they do so, Derek? 
You can find me, as always, at the Star Trek Dude on Facebook and Twitter. I do tweets a lot more than I Facebook on that account, so come talk Trek and gaming with me. You can find me elsewhere on the Heroes Podcast Network. I co-host Gamer Heroes, our video game show, and Screen Heroes, our flagship series, which uh, put out its 100th episode yesterday. So go check all that stuff out. Is that counting Gauntlet? That does not count Gauntlet. No? No. Well, you can hear me on Gauntlet, which is our uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch leading up to Infinity War podcast that we're doing right now. And I'm also on the Saturday Morning Tooncast, which is a podcast I do with uh, various hosts now, uh, mostly Danielle, about serial and cartoons. Awesome. And you can find me on uh, Yahoo and Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And we will see you all next week with another episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.